Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 18. My name's David Keem, and this is the Loose and Conversational podcast. Every week, my co-host Jen and I sit down with somebody, have a few drinks, and we talk about whatever. And this is an episode where we really did have a few drinks and just talk about whatever. Our guest this week is Jeremy Norrie, and he is a fascinating person. He currently produces and directs documentaries for Amazon. That's right, Amazon. In this episode, we get pretty loose and we let the conversation just take off. We could have talked to Jeremy for hours and he's a great storyteller and he's lived a pretty exciting life. What do we talk about? Well, we talk about hash and psychedelics and religion, psychedelics in general, Jeremy's documentaries, Bigfoot, aliens, life after death and more. We just talked until we ran out of time. Let us know if you enjoyed this one because I think it would be great to get him on again. We left an excellent topic hanging at the end there and to be honest, I'd like to wrap that one up. Some good news, we think we can start having in-person episodes again, soon. We have the next few weeks booked with remote episodes and we will keep doing them sometimes because we get great guests that are not local. But there's nothing like that in-person vibe, you know? It's an excellent thing that there's a light at the end of this horrible pandemic tunnel. Okay, Polly, do your thing. Welcome to the Loose and Conversational Podcast. best way to put that (laughs) like colorado legal so uh the very first one was in colorado and we timed it so that it happened right after they passed recreational there was like a little moment there where we thought they were going to delay it and we were just going to do the thing anyways but luckily overnight they signed it and uh you know we did the first legal cannabis event anywhere in the world to my knowledge oh cool yeah, even Amsterdam, it's not quote unquote legal. It's just decriminalized. Tolerated is the way they legal mean. here, baby. It sure is. Although nobody in Canada seems to care about <laughs> Yeah. It's not the panacea we thought it was. Yeah. So what was your early involvement with it? So I had started my cannabis career in like the cannabis industry as a journalist. And I oh, wrote cool. for a Canadian magazine, actually. Was what? it cannabis culture magazine? McLean's. Not. It's called Treating Yourself magazine. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Not as big, you know, but... uh, I used to work at a place called Lake Louise, Alberta, and it was illegal to smoke marijuana on hotel property. We had hotel and we had residence, but there was a bridge that was... (laughs) uh, Yeah, there was a bridge. It was the exit from the government parking lot because it's in a national park. And that bridge in Cannabis Cannabis Culture Magazine... Number four place in Canada to smoke pot. Well, there uh, you go. Nice. Where's, where's number one? I don't know. Oh, okay. It's a long time ago, Jen. 25 years ago. Well, you remembered number four. I just thought yeah. you might know where you should have been. No. Okay. All on. right. Sorry. You were uh, oh, you were working for a, a Canadian. Yep. Treating Yourself magazine. And, and he the, uh, the editor couldn't come to California for legal reasons. So me living in California. <laughs> Was it a cannabis-related reason? <laughs> seed situation. <laughs> so he he uh, contacted me. I, I was writing first like some MMA websites, and then I was also just writing for fun on this uh, website called Overgrow.com. He contacted me. That's how I got started doing journalism for them. And then uh, from there, I did all kinds of different things, and I met all kinds of different people. 
And one of the things I was doing was going to go cover this event for the magazine. It was another good way for me to get into a lot of things that I wanted to just do because I loved, I had a passion for cannabis, you know? So uh, my friend actually was throwing this event and he had moved to Colorado and I heard about it. It was a secrety thing. It was hard to get information. You had to get added to this like Facebook group to even be able to talk about it. And it sounded like really cool and it was focused entirely on hash. At this time, there was this crucial point in cannabis where a new kind of hash was becoming popular and uh, old. Really? Yeah. You've heard of hash oil. Oh, have I ever. Oh, yes. <laughs> so so there is a, a new kind of hash kind of becoming popularized in the early 2000s. And, you know, if you were really in on it early, in, even in the 90s, and it was butane extraction hash. And so... This was kind of new. Even hash oil of the past, I'm fairly sure for the large majority wasn't done this way. There might have been some very fine situations where it was happening, but for the most part, this was new. It was more popular in Canada and it kind of came down from Canada. And so it was new. And a lot of the old guard, they were very threatened by this. They did not like this new hash was around. They This chemical butane is the the solvent being used to extract it, they didn't like that at all either. And so we wouldn't be able to enter a lot of the competitions, like the high times competitions. They, they were oh, yeah. restricting it in certain ways. And then if you were able to enter it, a lot of times it wouldn't win. It wouldn't even place, you know, and then you would see what won and you'd think something's going on here. So my partner created this thing because He's like a hash snob to a certain degree. And they were entering all these competitions and experiencing a lot of this stuff. It was so small. We pretty much knew everybody in the whole community. So we were all talking. He, he and a few people were specifically talking on this like website. And they decided, hey, let's throw our own event, basically. And let's make it so that the judges are the people that compete in the event. So this was all centered around hash? Yes. So just to clarify, because I bet you there's a lot of people even listening who don't know what hash is. This is what I think hash is. And correct me because I, I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong. First off, my history when I was young, I grew up in a city in a place called Saskatchewan, which I wouldn't be surprised if you don't know about. I've heard of it. Jen's yawning. <laughs> apparently Jen's on. You lost me at Saskatchewan. Yeah, apparently she's not into <laughs> cannabis, but... Like I never really saw weed too often, right? Like I would always just see hash and I would 100% wow. usually see hash oil. I was going to say my parents, like my parents' generation, which is basically you did hash. Hash was. Yeah. Hash yeah. oil, right? Hash oil. Yeah. And uh, it would come and you'd buy it in beer bottle caps. So you'd buy a cap, right? And we would take uh, paper clips um, and big pens. So we would, we would hot knife hash if we had hash. Oh yeah. So you would get a burner on the stove hot. You would dip your paper clip Jeez. into your cap of hash. Sounds like a real problem. You take you you take just the shell of the big pen, like you take the middle of it, so it was like a big plastic straw. You yeah. touch the tip of the paper clip with the hash onto the stove, it would vaporize and you'd suck it in, right? And that's what you do at the beginning of a party. You'd sit around the stove and you do hash, right? And to this day, kind of consider it better than I was gonna say, like what's like as a consumer, what's the difference between hash and cannabis in terms of like the high or the benefit or whatever? The dude who sold it to us yeah. had caps of hash. <laughs> yeah, that he had mushrooms. So you was... would have taken anything, is what you're saying. Well, I was never really big. It was my roommates who were usually the guys who were buying it and stuff like that. Sure. But then a person I won't name the person because just in case people who are listening to the podcast know him. He used to cook hash. And what I think he did okay. is is I think weed comes from the female plant 
Yes. And what I was told was what they do is they render the male plant. And what he do is he would boil it in alcohol or something like that. The is male, that what you do? They all have, the, even the male has maybe like a tiny bit of usable THC or all the chemicals are kind of blanket termed cannabinoid. Okay. So I'll just refer to them all as cannabinoids. Okay, cool. When you're looking at the cannabis plant and you see that little like stalk and cap and it's called a trichome and it looks like this little like tree growing out of the leaf. If you're looking at a like a macro yeah, shot, yeah, yeah. that's the part that we want, <laughs> right? And that contains all the cannabinoids. So it's all the oils that are in the plant. What hash is, and there's a variety of ways to do this, but you're removing those from the plant and you're trying to get it to where you have almost no plant and only those. If you're really, really good, you can get it to where it's only the little round top. And that all is like super, super fine refining techniques, really pro. For the large majority, like historically, what you would see is, and, and I loved your story, by the way, that you oh, Canadian because, <laughs> you know. Very Canadian. What did yeah. the Americans yeah. do when I they were doing I it? Left, I left out the part that sometimes it would be cut with roofing tar and it would oh, be the whole house would stink like roofing tar. But So in a lot of countries, it's hard to get pot, right? It's It smells, you know, it's hard yeah. to transport it. It smells in every country. I hate to break it to you. Yeah, yeah. you know, like transporting it into the country is is a problem. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's really common in a lot of places is that they're able to get hash, but they're not able to get cannabis. And oh, okay. Yeah, you'll see that in certain places around the world. I was going to say, so when you're talking about like cannabis being legalized, is hash legalized or is, is it is it all under the same thing? So that was part of the process and they had very specific defining factors to make sure that that was covered. Basically, you're refining the plant and you're going to have like a a sifting technique. Originally, most of the hash is you dry the plant out, put it in like a bucket or something. And then there's like a silk screen or some sort of cloth. And you're like shaking it and, you know, getting the fine things that fall through the cloth. And that's like commonly referred to as keef um, outer. Uh, in Holland, they refer to it as pollen incorrectly. So, uh, you know, it is, it's just this fine powdery stuff. And then that is typically, so if your friend was cooking hash, probably what he was doing is getting that, like compacting it into some sort of like a press or like some sort of a thing. And then that goes in the oven and it heats up. You can even just wrap it real tight and just put it together and like in a cloth type of thing and put it in the oven. And, um, with heat, not extreme amount of heat, but with heat, it kind of all bakes together and you've got this kind of like brown outer layer and really good hash is kind of like this creamy, like, you know, in inner layer. And cool. uh, yeah, so that that's typical. And then from there, hash became uh, made with water. So people started using these and you would pull the bags out and in each bag, they had a different size screen. You would have like a little bit of this keef type substance left over. That became a really fine way of doing it. And then from there, that's when kind of the hash oil came back. Early, early on, I'm sure they used a lot of really harmful chemicals to make these hash oils, you know. They didn't really know a lot about or care a lot about uh, the health aspect. And so people were using pretty harsh chemicals to make those early on hash oils. A lot of times it was alcohol or something, some variant like that. The new technique brought in butane. Butane is a non-polar solvent, so it's much lighter on the plant and everything. It's just a far safer, it's flammable, so that 
aspect of it super dangerous. But as far as a consuming perspective, it's very healthy, much more healthy in comparison to those other uh, solvents that used to be used. God, I would do anything for a Huda hash right now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I had one of my roommates and uh, I worked in a restaurant at the time. Okay, I worked in a fast food restaurant at the time. <laughs> and I came home from a long shift and him and another buddy, were they had chairs pulled up to the stove and they're they're taking hoots off the stove. And I walked up and I was kind of surprised. And uh, he looks up at me and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And he looks up at me all guilty and he goes, we're partying. <laughs> it was funny because it was just two guys with chairs oh around gosh. the stove. Yeah, it was it's quite classic. the party. Yeah. So is hash legal in Colorado? Yep, yep. That was uh, so they were one of the first ones to kind of have. There was a moment where hash was not legal and cannabis was legal, quote unquote. And well, I don't think it's legal in Canada right I was, now. I'm just checking. Jen's it. quickly googling. I have. <laughs> so that kind of got ironed out relatively quickly. Um, some places uh, might still have some sort of stipulations as to like that kind of separation where even in Amsterdam, for example, hash oil is illegal. Well, I think it is here. What's the word there, Jen? It doesn't look like it. No. Yeah. I, I've never seen it in any of the, uh, yeah. the stores. So. Yeah, it, it could be one of those things where they've decided this is just too strong. This is, you know, dangerous strength. Well, it says hash edibles and other cannabis extracts will soon be legal for sale. So they might be now. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, edible, yeah, because edibles are, yeah, are legal edibles now. Are that's, now. That's a common thing, too, is for them all to kind of fall into this category. The The big thing is the vape pens, right? So if hash oil is illegal, you can't have those vape pens. Yeah, we can't. We still can't have vape pens in Canada. Mm-hmm. So, oh, really? Yeah. You know, economically, they want that. What's yeah. the difference? Like, that's what I don't get. I don't My sister's friends use the vape pens and I yeah. had to like smuggle them in from the US. So here's, here's a quick Jen um, and David story. So to, oh to understand the difference, you knew this was going to come up, right? <laughs> the difference between David and Jen. So when oh we first God. found out that cannabis was going to be legalized, I actually was dating a girl at the time who was involved with the provincial response to the federal legalization of cannabis. So she told me to read all the stuff if I was curious about it. So I read it all. And then the company we work for, I said, you know, this might be a good opportunity for us, right? Like this, because we were looking at diversifying. Yeah. And, and so we were already going on like kind of a company trip to Scottsdale. So we decided four of us, I think. Yeah, four of yeah, us. In, in Canada? No, Scottsdale, Arizona. No, well, Scott, no we went to Scottsdale, Arizona. But th- it wasn't legal in Canada yet. And they yeah. would... The, the basically when this guy, Justin Trudeau, who do you like Justin Trudeau, uh, he's got our prime hair. minister? I don't know a lot about him, but he seems mostly OK. There's a couple. Yeah, we hate him. Yeah. We hate him where we are. <laughs> and it's funny. Every time we yeah. talk to Americans, they're like, oh. or the women will always yeah. be like, well, oh, he's, he's a good so looking cute. man. Yeah. But like we hate him. But yeah. when he first came, he became prime minister. That was the first thing, because obviously he was doing God, cannabis been- at home. He's been prime minister for a while now. Too long, too long if you ask me. (laughs) And uh, he said, we're going to legalize cannabis. And so before he legalized it, the first thing he did is he had some independent people study it. They came up with the federal framework framework for the legalization. And at this point, we knew it was going to become legal according to the framework, but all the provinces had to figure out what they were going to do once it became legal. So we we decided to stop off in Denver and we met with... Native Roots. Native, Native Roots. Roots, yeah. yeah. The co-CEO oh. of Native Roots. Yeah. And he was a really great guy. He showed us around, taught us a lot of stuff. And we and then he's and we were at a dispensary and he says, So you guys go right ahead. And I'm like, Oh, it's so fantastic. And, and the then, best part is like I'm with my boss, my CFO, and David the journal manager. So yeah. it's like and Jen. Us are exploring. And, and so and yeah. me, and I'm like in like a dirty shirt. And then, uh, so we're all standing around like a bunch of like a bunch of 15 year olds <laughs> who went to the dealer for the first yeah, time. Totally. So we bought a spray, like a sublingual spray. Sativa right? spray. Yeah, yeah. Sativa sublingual spray. Like this. Which 
which I think was fantastic. <laughs> but then later on, uh, we we made everybody try some because we wanted to say, what do you think this is? And then the, our CFO in general, like, I don't really want it. We're like, just have one, just have one. And me and uh, our boss were in it like a dirty shirt. And I was I was like pumping that thing continually from when we bought it till at, till the next day when we were walking into the airport. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was fantastic. So later on, we're talking to Jen. And all of a sudden I get this theory. I'm like, she never tried it. So I said, what did it taste like? And she's like, berries? It didn't taste like berries. Busted. Yeah, but it was fun. Colorado was a fun place. And that was, it was a fun time where they would, I think they'd been, it had been legal for a year, maybe. It was even fun. Yeah, that was a good time then. That was definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And it was funny because as I, so go walking into the airport, last thing I'm going to do is walk into an American airport with (laughs) cannabis because it's not, it's not legal federally. So I made sure I threw the sublingual spray in the garbage. And then as I was getting on the, and like, as I'm getting out of the cab, the whole way from the cab to the garbage can, I'm pumping it as fast as I can because the best way to sneak something into a place is inside of you. Yeah, we weren't there in 2012 yeah. when it was passed or in January 2014 when it opened. <laughs> uh, January 2015. 15, was it? Yeah, somewhere there. 15, 16, 16 maybe. Anyway, and so I'm getting on the plane and I'm like, I wonder how much weed is in the garbage cans at, oh, the, at the airport in Denver. Probably so much, yeah. yeah they, like, have, they have little green boxes in oh, the airport that are specifically for cannabis. I didn't see that. It was funny. We ran into this girl in the checkout line, or not the checkout line, but like the line. And we were talking to her and she was telling us, listing of all the states that she's lived in. And she's lived in every legalized state. And we're like, I'm sensing a theme here. Like, this is important to you. <laughs> Yeah, that's common with cannabis people. Like, Yeah. So what state do you live in now? Are you in California? I'm in California. So it's legal there? It is legal here, yes. Okay, cool. But like the, the whole legalization thing is still, it's quasi-legal. There's plenty of situations where you could be in a violation type of a situation. So. Oh, yeah. Even now, it's crazy because when we first legalized it here, it was a year and a half ago or so. Two. It feels like two. It's been a little while now. Yeah. Is um, they were telling you, even if you travel, like if the if you were going through security to get on a U.S. flight and you told the U.S. border guards that you had bought cannabis, they'd say, no, you're barred forever yeah. from the United States. I don't know if that was ever like actually true. We would true. like purchase with our credit cards just in case they pulled up your credit card. No, we statement. wouldn't use our credit That's cards. That's why I said we wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. we go to just, and now it's like nobody gives a fuck. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like no. every single know. person in Canada has bought it once. Yeah. psychedelic medicine documentary and we're also doing one about psychedelics and religion oh, oh cool yeah yeah oh is that, which psychedelic and is this like cults yeah. or like real religion oh real religion yeah oh. oh really yeah there's a there's a really good book out right now it's called the immortality key and there are a few other books from prior to this book being released that also explore various like aspects of this concept of there's a variety of psychedelic plants and religion. And so how do they relate? Okay, so the immortality key, the thing that I love the most about it is that he has gone to all of these. It took him like a long time to write this book. I think it was something almost like 20 years or something. He went to these places. He found the artifacts that were used in these religious ceremonies from uh, all various different religions. Yeah. And he had them analyzed and they are finding residual evidence of psychedelic plants in the wine glasses. Oh, interesting. 
And so what do you think they were using it for? Well, so me being a hash maker, this is all tied in together, right? So I know that alcohol is a polar solvent. And if you're going to put plants in alcohol, the alcohol is going to pull every last little part of that plant out into the liquid. And so depending on how long they were soaking these psychedelic plants in this liquid, I mean, you get some pretty potent wine with this. And so if they're drinking it during their like religious ceremony and anybody who's had like a psychedelic experience knows like, Jen never has. No, I no. never have. If I've never, never had, really. Yeah. People commonly will say, "Oh, I talked to God. I had this like profound epiphany with life." It was like, yeah, actually, that's interesting because I was watching a show and this one, and he was a, a priest in training, and basically he would use psychedelics in order to sort of ha- be talked to from God, right? So it was like that's how he got his messages from God. I've said numbers of people, like uh, one of the interviewees I was doing, he has a book called Mushrooms in the Bible. And he made a comment to me. He's like, and and I I grew up religious, so I agree wholeheartedly with this. He's like, I never felt God like going to church or like doing any of this stuff. You know, as soon as you take psychedelics, it's like a doorway, like ka-ching. This is a connection with things that is pretty much uncommon or unachievable almost at all for the average person that's going to church. So why do you think it was phased out just because of legal issues or? Which psychedelics? Yeah. In in religion, if it was like so oh. commonly used. Well, I, I think that it was, you know, people don't want you to, to question authority. So it probably was people that were, you know, in a position of power of some sort, and they did not want this to affect their position of power. Gotcha. I think that's religion, period. Yeah, for like, sure. So you're telling me that Catholics used to be a good time because I'm a Catholic and I haven't met up too many good timers. Not necessarily <laughs> part of the Catholic religion. I'm not sure. I'd have to. Oh. <laughs> uh, his book is like pretty. We're talking about a lot of ancient. Yeah, was yeah. Like ancient religions. Yeah. yeah, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. If you if you listen to another podcast uh, that's somewhat popular by a. Uh, uh, young, I think he's a professor uh, named Joe Rogan. He talks a lot about uh, psychedelics, especially DMT. And just just hearing him talk about DMT, if I could try one drug that I haven't tried, it would uh, absolutely. Well, it's psychedelics that are used in like mental health and stuff like that too, right? Like, they're starting to, yeah. yeah they're starting to. Yes. Lots that's of clinical what, trials. That's yeah. what our medical documentary is basically about, is um, yeah. kind of all this anecdotal evidence that people have commented on from there to like the scientific and then also the Native American opinion mm. on all that and how that's to cool. use it for What is the Native American opinion? It's very ceremonial for them. From tribe to tribe, they might kind of isolate certain drugs or, you know, Ayahuasca is one that that is used for certain ones, but uh, peyote is one that is used for other tribes, and then uh, psilocybin mushrooms are used in other tribes. And this is what we should do this year: mushrooms. Uh, because we're I go camping a lot. I go camping a lot. What we should do because we were talking about I was going to leave my trailer and then Jen's family oh, yeah. was going to use it. You're going to plant some mushrooms for me. What's that? No, you should come out oh. like a night before or something, or you and Sean, and yeah. then have somebody bring the kids out the next day. And yeah, we'll do shrooms in the woods and see what happens. That sounds great. It's, it really is fantastic. Can Callie, your daughter, drive my kids out there? The she day? could. She could, yeah. <laughs> I'll pay yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. Jen, right? Yeah, Jen. So you've smoked cannabis now. No, never. No, literally Jen. Jen is like a pure flower. Yeah, that... I'm almost 40 and I've never done drugs with the exception of obviously the occasional 
prescription medication. I, I would recommend but... doing that before doing mushrooms, but uh, oh, really? Because mm-hmm. they're two different experiences, are they not? They are, but uh, it could kind of like ease your anxiety about doing mushrooms because um, you know. Something... So do I do? So do I do a marijuana and then an hour later mushrooms? Or no, 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 like... no. <laughs> <laughs> Take a chill, Jen. Now do yeah. the mushrooms. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> if you're ready for that, yeah. I've done DMT I mean, a bunch of times too. If you want to know about yeah. that. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So DMT. Well, here's one. Of let's the talk DMT. about DMT. Yeah, yeah. What, is, what does that stand for? Sorry. Dimethyltryptamine. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So DMT is what they say is released in your brain when you die, oh. like right before you die. From your pineal gland, I think. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And so they like to call it, there's a lot of like um, profound names for it. I think the God molecule. Yeah, yeah, the God molecule. Right? Oh, a bunch of different things. They like I think there's, a, I think there's a, a documentary about it called the God molecule and that Joe, Joe Rogan's is, in that, yeah, but he's in it seriously. That is the name of that one. Yeah. And, and in his comedy, he talks about it differently. And I think he does a better job talking about it in his comedy than he does in that documentary. <laughs> And so what is DM? So the God molecule, what? Like you take it and. So basically what it is, is it it is an extremely powerful hallucinogenic drug. So I've done acid a lot of times, shrooms lots of times. And to have like hallucinations um, when you're on those drugs, especially things that seem real, you would have to take a lot. And even then, you it's uncommon. Like for the most part, even if you have a hallucination, you're aware of it. You're like, oh, wow. So when you have these hallucinations, are you like thinking this is really great? This is rad? Or are you like, yes, fuck? But are you like, like, what the, like, I mean, is it an enjoyable experience to see things that aren't there? It depends, I think. That was a learning experience uh, when I was doing salvia. So that's a very similar to DMT type of drug. And uh, that, for the most part, people have negative experiences with. And Mm. uh, I've had a bunch of negative experiences with it. And I'll tell you, uh, certain hallucinations can be scary, you know? I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But some can be really wonderful. Like, that's where DMT is different. So salvia, usually scary, usually a bad experience for people. DMT is the polar opposite. Always a good experience. And so where does one get DMT? So you would have to find someone. Do you know a guy in Canada? You'd have have to find a dealer. David and I have had this conversation so many times. Like, it's like, we, this is all good in theory, but it's like, we don't like, where do you go? So what I would say is, is get out to a festival because we're not doing all these events. Oh my God. There's so much always around. Like I'm just attending an event. It's you, you come in contact with it and you can, if you're looking for it, you can find things. I mean, that feels safer than like the back alley of Skid Row. So. What, what, I think, what I think he's saying, Jen, yeah. is send your younger sister to a festival. She goes to festivals. With 150 bucks. She goes to festivals. So I'll just yeah. like bring you me and, home something. You and me walking around going like, excuse me. We um, look like cops or narcs, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, the festivals, like it's like the Grateful Dead, you know, stuff like that. And, okay. Okay. Um, Can you send us a list offline? <laughs> we're, we're in we're in Alberta, Canada. All of our festivals yeah. are like Kenny Chesney. You know. <laughs> street maybe the street performers festival. Uh, it can it can be different. So like 
the common stories that you hear are these like crazy stories about people like traveling to other like dimension type experiences, yeah, yeah. communicating God, inanimate objects, like living life as a, a link on a chain fence, like all kinds huh. of weird stuff. That's okay, is there is there lingo when I'm at the festival? Do I say, "Hey, do you have any DMT?" or is there like a lingo I need to know about? Uh, so people call it deemsters. That they call it what? Deemsters. Deemsters. <laughs> okay, good to know. Like, you know, like you can call it DMT. I don't think you're going to get in trouble. But I just don't want to look like the, you know, like yeah, yeah. the 40 year old I am. Yeah, I don't want know? some 22 year old to be like, <laughs> go home, pops. Yeah, exactly. You're not a millennial. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm sure that there's all kinds of names for it, depending okay. on where you're at, you know? So yeah. Find out that local term. And then okay. there you go. But probably um, a Reddit thread. I'm sure we could go on. Yeah. <laughs> like people kind of do DMT, or they think that the only way to do it is like this dose where you go away and it's this crazy thing. And you can just smoke a little bit of DMT and you get all these crazy visuals and you're still yourself. You're you're not like having these profound crazy You can still enjoy the band. Yeah, that's how I like to do it. Oh, really? Cool. So I would get little amounts and I'd just smoke tiny little amounts like for hours. And how do you smoke it? Uh, like, is it a crystal? Is it a... It's typically like a ti- like a powder or a crystal. Hmm. And oh, cool. it can vary in color. So it doesn't always look the same. It's not easily identifiable. It can look like other drugs. So like there is some, you know, trust that you have when like hopefully somebody you probably don't really know what you got till you try it. You know, sounds dangerous. Yeah, (laughs) Jen would be like, you know what? I think this is just bubble gum. Like, does it come labeled? (laughs) No, probably not. Everything. Right. So like it's in plants, it's in all kinds, like it's a really, really common molecule, but like extracting it is what's uncommon. Because it must be done in a, in a lab. Like I don't think some guy's doing it in his one bedroom apartment. I mean, maybe. Sure that that exists too. You know, while it's illegal the way that it is, you probably have a variety of approaches to how people are, you know, going out about doing this. Like some people might be like lab techs and they do it on the side at their like oh, yeah. new professional place or something. You know what? You could make a TV show out of that. Oh, I'm sure. Like a science like, teacher, like maybe. Breaking Bad. Does that yeah. Why? Like why would he do it though? Anyway, because he's dying. The, the experience so, would be a lot different. Like this is not like meth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people don't get addicted to psychedelics, do they? Well, they get addicted to the experience, not chemically addicted. Okay. So, so one of these things that you see in medicine is. Sometimes people, the healing aspect of it is also part of your own journey, you know, and you you do have to work on mentally overcoming obstacles and doing things other than just taking the psychedelic drug. And some people kind of get addicted to the routine where like they're going to these retreats pretty often. And, you know, that isn't the goal. Theoretically, you would want like a one-time experience healing thing or maybe like a few times, but then you kind of learn the direction that you need to go and and you're not relying on the psychedelic to, you know, open like some sort of a doorway to your healing that you can just continue this healing when you're not on psychedelic. Cool. So that's not always how it works. The legalization of psychedelics, which I think is happening, it happened in Idaho, I think. Oh, did it? I I don't know. All over. 
Oh, is it? Or maybe Oregon? I don't know. Um, we. I don't really know the difference between Idaho and Oregon. I hate to say. I think it's <laughs> there's all kinds of different ones too. So, like um, Portugal, for example, they legalized pretty much all drugs. And oh, really? Yeah, there's certain places that that have really wild laws, and it's this experiment that theoretically you want the drugs to be legal, and then the people that are having problems, you you don't arrest them, you treat them. And then you get them off the drugs and then they maybe continue to be off the drugs and are, you know, yeah, that makes rehabilitated. Sense. And I mean, realistically, if you legalized crazy drugs like cocaine or whatever, it's not like I'm going to go get it now. You know what I'm saying? Like you're either you're taking point. it or you're not yeah. taking it. It's just, are you getting it safely or unsafely? That's, right? that's one of the interesting things that's happened in Canada where like really close to where we work, there is a huge, huge yeah. facility that grows cannabis. I, I don't think that, it has turned into the boom that no. everybody thought it would because I think a lot of people have you, you haven't tried cannabis since it came out. Well, you tried edibles. Yeah, I've tried well, the capsules. Yes. Yeah, same thing. Oh, same that thing. counts. <laughs> yeah, that counts. Yeah, you've had it in you. That's true. And, yes. uh, and you don't enjoy it, do you? you no, know? I did not yeah. enjoy so it. So I think that a lot of people very powerful. So, like, I would recommend. Oh, yeah, we know. <laughs> like, edibles are almost a whole other thing. I was like, and of course, it's my first experience. So I have the pill and I'm like, oh, this isn't doing anything, whatever. So I go about my day and I'm driving and I'm like, oh, geez, these colors are so bright. The scenery is beautiful. And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm high. And I'm like in the you middle. You were driving? And I'm in the middle of fucking driving. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> so then I'm like really like overcautiously just trying to get to my destination so I can stop fucking driving. <laughs> I'm not a fan of, oh, of, my God. of edible cannabis. I'll just yeah. say that. But I'm less, I'm a fan of clutter. And so at my house clutter. lately, I, yeah, I've been going through like, like for the freezer, I've been trying to get rid of food that's in the freezer Can't and stuff. Can't wait to see how these two things link. Go because we, we have a, we have a bottle of, uh, I can't remember what it is, like pink grapefruit haze or something mm -hmm. or some some tablet like. cannabis or something. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when I was editing the podcast last week, I thought, you know what, I'll just take one. Maybe it'll make the time go by faster. <laughs> I don't know. So I took one and it wasn't really that bad. Yeah. But then this this uh, buddy had posted the, you know, anybody here know, this will be a real test for everyone listening. The song I've Never Been to Me by Charlene. No. Yeah. So for some reason he had posted it on Facebook as like, this is one of my favorite songs and he must've been fucking with us. <laughs> so, but he, and he posted the video. So for some, at one point I take a break. So I watched the video to Charlene's I've Never Been to Me. Okay. Next time you're stoned. Watch, watch the video <laughs> and if anybody's listening right now and you're stoned pause this and watch the video it, it was one of like and i couldn't stop laughing oh and i was gosh. like you know what maybe maybe i've been too harsh on this idea of the cannabis <laughs> caps <laughs> you just gotta match it with yeah. the activity that you're doing driving no no Ed editing no. a podcast maybe and anyways david's point was that when the stores opened people who had never done it didn't really rush out to get it mm -hmm. and then people who were actively doing it kept getting it from their their dealers, dealers it was cheaper. right yeah cheaper. it was cheaper better quality more... they had a relationship with their dealers yeah, yeah. so yeah. i wonder it'd be interesting now i wonder if the people if the dealers are still because it is pretty they are like i've got family members who still actively oh, really, participate eh? and they still get it from their dealers yeah. like that's the yeah. only way they're gonna shut those down so we started to have that happen here because there was almost no regulation on our shops and uh they started just dropping the price to where it was like so super cheap it was putting a lot of people out of the business you know they're oh, really no way to compete when the price goes down and so uh ultimately that's their move um whenever they're going to decide to eliminate the black market that's how they have to do it is just well and and hopefully some of it too and uh if you're not saying anything right jen you know i got a drink over there 
I'm listening though. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I think one of the things, so shout out to Northern Lights, just whatever they're called, Northern Lights Dispensary <laughs> Cannabis. Shout out to you there. <laughs> whatever they are, Northern Lights in, in Nisku, that's where, it's near where we work and that's where we go. Well, I guess Jen doesn't go anywhere. No. But I gave you my bottle, remember? <laughs> yeah, it's big and it's fantastic and they're really, really helpful. And I think like for a lot of people like me who maybe don't have a dealer, that helps is going to a place where they're, they're, the service is good, right? And the it's nice to be in there. And I yeah. think that a lot of people who are maybe new to it were really... If, yeah, thanks for banging the mic nonstop while I'm talking, Jen. You told me to get your fucking drink. This okay. is the consequence. Um, and I think that might help because I'd never go to a dealer. I don't know a dealer. You do have I, a dealer. It's Northern Lights. Yeah, but 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 I wouldn't have one, right? <laughs> so like the growth is going to be in that, in you know, comfortable, clean spaces yeah. and all the staff. Yeah. And the same yeah. thing as before, right? I, but a lot of people in Canada, when they opened it up, it just wasn't the boom. And, and a lot of companies well, there was got really demand. big. There was and then demand they got really issues small. too, right? I mean, stores, Early on, yeah, yeah. stores couldn't open. Like, I mean, there was a lot of issues in the whole rollout. Yeah. But, yeah. but now you can, I mean, there's now there's, I don't know about other places in Canada. Like, holy shit, in, in Edmonton where we live, there's there's literally more cannabis stores than there seem to be liquor stores. Yeah. And Edmonton has a lot of liquor stores. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's more cannabis stores and liquor stores than there are McDonald's. Ooh, and Edmonton has a lot of yeah, McDonald's. Yeah, that's probably true. Like there's one, there's one two blocks from my house and I live in a completely suburban neighborhood, right? So yeah. That was our statistic too here in Southern California. We had more than, yeah. I think it was 7-Eleven and McDonald's combined. Wow. More oh, than wow. Hawaii has ABC stores. Oh, there's no, nothing. Will <laughs> Another thing I wanted to say, so you guys were talking about edibles. So edibles, when you, you get high from edibles, it changes the chemical it's not the same chemical as when you're smoking because oh. it's digested in your body through your liver. And when you're smoking it, it's processed through your lung. So when you're eating it, it's a much more powerful experience. Uh, which do you prefer? I prefer smoking for sure. Oh, edible yeah. is not my thing. I, until last weekend, I every time I've had an edible, yeah. it's unpleasant. <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly, I mean, I had the one experience when I gave you my bottle because I was like, fuck, I'm not doing this again. How, how long does it take you? Jeremy, if you have an edible, how long till it hits you? So it depends on the edible, but I've had ones that hit me in like 15 minutes and I've had ones that took like an hour and a half. Yeah, I've had one take two hours. And of course, after two hours, you assume. Well, that's what I, like, I it was like, there's no effects. Okay, I'm just going to go on yeah, with my day. <laughs> I touch it. You, you know about my experience at the yes. fringe, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I, we had a brownie. That was like before it was legal. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to be responsible. I, I ate like a quarter of it and then I waited like a half an hour. Then I had another quarter of it. Then I waited a half an hour and I still didn't feel anything. So after, you know, but really I hadn't waited a half an hour. I'd waited eight minutes because it was already hitting me. <laughs> and then by the time the third part hit me, I was, I was same thing. I was driving because the idea was like, well, let's drive to the festival before this hits me. <laughs> Friggin' hits me as I'm starting to drive. And then the last one hit me. I couldn't remember figure out where I was. So yeah, driving and edibles, it's, they do not mix. So does all this drug use lead you to aliens and Sasquatches? Yeah, let's let's transition into that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so doing my event, I knew I had something special, and we started shooting some of the events. Uh, that became this documentary that has taken it's eight years in the making at this point, and we're just about to release it in the next couple months. So which, that's the, the... It's called The Secret Cup. And that was my traveling hash competition. Gotcha. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, we'll see who picks it up. Right now, Amazon is not taking any new documentaries. So oh, interesting. They're going sure. back and curating all their stuff. Uh, yeah, 
they had a lot of nonsense on there. So I think they realized it. And they're my girlfriend's super into documentaries right now. So let's talk about you. So we've talked about the Jeremy that is the uh, works in the kind of the drug counterculture and now culture. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about you as the documentary filmmaker. How did first off, how did that start? So doing the event, I started shooting it and I was paying somebody to shoot the events. And then when it came time to make the actual documentary out of it, there was, it was a difficult process. And then I was watching it and I was going back through it. And I had like dabbled in filmmaking just for fun when I was a kid and I'd made some stuff. And eventually when I finished with working with this other guy to get the documentary to where I thought it was distributable, it didn't work out. Like all the people in the cannabis industry that told me like, oh, I can open this door. That is all baloney. Hard to trust druggies, you know? (laughs) Some of them were like involved with stuff that was on legitimate networks. And you thought, oh, like this person, maybe they really can do this thing. No. What ultimately, I, I ended up meeting the people that I'm working with now through a friend of a friend. And they are real filmmakers. And they just started opening these doors to the different projects that I wanted to do. And one door that got opened was uh, this independent, low-budget documentary opportunity. My, my partner that I'm working with, he was a horror movie maker, independent, low-budget horror movies. And he was transitioning into doing documentaries. And he was having some issues with some of the stuff. And, and he was working with other people to do these films because some of the areas where he's not the best at like lining up interviews and doing that kind of stuff. And he is interested in some of these subjects, but he doesn't believe in quite a lot of the stuff. So he doesn't even know where to start start got in contact with me through the the executive producer that we met and that I, I met and we started working together and the first three projects we did were cannabis related they're cannabis medical cannabis cannabis and cancer basically so those are my first three projects those are really powerful movies and I'd love to talk about that subject when people need help with that but you know you can search that out and find it the next three we did are the ones you want to talk about so yeah uh, very next one was Bigfoot then I did I want to believe which is about ufos uh we did alien contactee which is about a guy who has four different experiences with extraterrestrials so shall we say and then eventually so we just released another one called aliens versus bigfoot which is not necessarily a about aliens or Bigfoot, it's about all the people that studied. Oh, cool. And so after all of your experience, did you do you genuinely believe in either of those things? So I'm interested in it. That's how we started doing the movies. He said yeah. to me, hey, these movies tend to do well, you know, yeah. about these subjects. Do you want to try and... And I said... Well, who yeah. doesn't want to watch something about Bigfoot? Well, and I, like, <laughs> I, and I, and I asked because I watched, I watched for a long time Finding Bigfoot, right? And I mean, you know, every episode was like the hunt for Bigfoot in some area in the US or Canada or wherever and it was always like you know these terrible cliffhangers like oh my god you know and then it comes back and it's like oh it was just this or it was just that yeah no it's always like (laughs) yeah i see nothing yeah it's always like oh this is it you know like this is the moment where we finally have our evidence you know and so you know at at some point it becomes almost comical that you know that they're sort of continuing on with the show and there's really never seems to be anything the worst thing even from a filmmaking standpoint for them to find the evidence yeah and there's no more show after you prove that bigfoot exists for sure, for sure. Yeah. 
they they kind of have like this is the problem with a lot of hollywood productions that we as independent filmmakers don't face at all yeah a little bit because there's the pressure of making money you want to do things that are going to be profitable you still need to draw people in with something right so yeah so when you're doing these hollywood things there's some producer or some you know executive that's like oh you gotta like fake this and do that we gotta create drama we gotta have like adversity you know that kind of stuff makes projects and so if you don't have it organically they'd like to invent it and i hate that i genuinely believe bigfoot is probably real right but i think the thing that i have a hard time wrapping my brain around is how can there be no concrete evidence like are they that our movie because I, I approach it seriously. Yeah. I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to, too. Before yeah. I ended the podcast, I'm going <laughs> to... Wait, wait. Actually, you know, Polly. wait. Polly, what's your opinion on Sasquatch? What? Are you serious? You ignore me for weeks and now you ask me if Sasquatch is real? I'm not a joke, guys. I did not go to four years of virtual assistant school to be treated like this. But sure. Sasquatch is real. Do you know what happens to large mammals when humans move into their environment? They become extinct. 85% of Australia's large animals went extinct a couple of thousand years after humans migrated there. So gee, I wonder why a large ape-like creature that lives in the mountainous forest would not want to dance for your cameras? Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Basically, a lot of the evidence and a lot of the stuff with Bigfoot specifically is not going to be changing you know historically like these facts that this happened that happened this hoax happened this you know this and that ultimately the things that i found compelling towards that there may be a bigfoot and i i basically think that somewhere in the world it's probably going to be discovered that this is a, a real animal so yeah can i give my two cents yeah sure i'm at most at home in the mountains so if uh alberta the southern part of alberta well i guess even the i live in the mountains yeah, I love the mountains. I love the mountains. And we have great mountains in Alberta. Mm-hmm. Not where we live right now, but, but we do. Yeah. But I spend a lot of time in there and I love hiking and I love hiking like way up into the past the Alpine, getting on top of a mountain. And you look around and like 99% of it, there's nobody. And the only reason we see bears is because bears are stupid and they like <laughs> they like people things, right? They like yeah. our garbage, they like our food. Well, I guess that's the question. They like, wander across yeah. roads. But if you had something that was like Are these more intelligent like do they actively avoid us? Yeah, if you had yeah. some if you had something that lived out in the mountains and wanted to avoid people. I mean that's some people. Yeah. yeah. I I'm willing to bet there's people out there, especially in the United States. Oh, I'm sure there's people out there who are avoiding I'm other sure. people in the mountains, yeah. right? And it would be so easy. Because it's not like people creep along and we're it's we're not like panthers, you know, slowly moving through the jungle. You know, we talk and we we listen to music yeah. and we, we, you know, we're obnoxious. So you think they're real? I 100% think yeah. they could be. You would expect if there was an animal who, like how long have human beings been in North America? What? I have no idea. 10,000 years at least? Sure. If you had an animal that had to isolate itself from human beings, like there's a great documentary right now about Neanderthals and how we basically took them over and got rid of them had sex with a few of them. And uh, weirdly enough, if you saw, if you were a Bigfoot and you had the buddy at one point who was a Neanderthal and they were like, hey, when these humans show up, stay away from them. And then 10,000 years ago, you're like, I think that's one of those people that they were Maybe talking Maybe it's about. like that movie, that M. Night Shalom, whatever movie about the village or whatever, where they're like, you know, like corralled in this like yeah, society, maybe. you know, maybe. where they yeah. think it's like dangerous. So anyway, I 100%, yeah. that's why I'm looking forward to watching because I 100% think Bigfoot. Yeah. But if Bigfoot is like, even if they're like three quarters as smart as we are, yeah. but really focused on not being found. I was going to say, because I mean, we wouldn't, 
like hide. You know what I'm saying? Like I think there's curiosity in your, and I guess that's my point is I do believe that they're probably true, but how is it that there is, you know, like no, I, and I guess you were about to talk about the compelling yeah, yeah. evidence. So, so there's, there's, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of great reasons why they might not really exist, or maybe they don't exist anymore or something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. People do have a lot of sightings, right? Yeah. Not a lot of great video or photos, but some of the stories that people tell are, you know, profound. You feel like this is an honest, you know, experience. You can't easily explain it away. So, you know, what is it? But there's absolutely, you know, a possibility that none of this is real. They don't exist. That's not mm-hmm. impossible. Nobody would deny that wolverines exist. Well, I was going to say that when you're bringing up bears, like that was a mythical creature at a certain point not yeah. that long ago. So, yeah. like, so do you think Bigfoot exists today, or do you think it's more of a like historical somewhere animal? in the world? Yes, because there's yeah. so so many different names, and then the sightings yeah. are very much the same descriptions. Yeah, so that's really compelling. When we were doing some of the research, I did not know that there are thousands of new species of animals and plants discovered every year. So what I like think about that kind of thing, I would have thought, you know, sure, there's maybe new things every now and then, maybe not even every year, something new, but no, no, no. Well, I mean, if they're being found every day, they've obviously existed for a while, right? We just haven't discovered them yet. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then some of these things are big, you know, there's like some sort of like a, almost like a dog size animal, not that long ago. There was a new kind of orangutan, not all that long ago. So yeah. that kind of stuff leads me to believe it. Well, just the consistent stories across the world, right? I mean, there's no way that you would really share that information historically. So theoretically, yeah. yeah, yeah. There's there's two animals that, that I was going to say when I lived in the mountains there, nobody ever sees them. Nobody ever sees them, right? Uh, one's the cougar, which actually you do see video yeah. every now and then because people really seek them out. The other one is wolverines. And wolverines 100% exist. Everybody knows wolverine, wolverines exist. Yeah. But they avoid people. They avoid everything. They, yeah. they hide and they do all these kinds of things. Yeah. So go find video of Wolverine. Like if you were looking for video proof that a Wolverine exists. Good luck. It, it, but on the other hand, Wolverines are, we know where to look for them. And, yeah. we, you know, we can set up traps and things like that. And I think with Sasquatch, there's just never been, like it's never been believable enough. But I 100% well, think they're out there. And I guess I think like when it comes to getting clear video, I, the, I guess when you think about it logically too, is like if I'm out there in the woods like and I see this thing, like I'm not stopping to say, oh, hey, let me just grab your picture quickly and then I'm going to run, right? Like you're just. Yeah, a lot of these experiences seem like they're very quick. You have extremely limited amount of time. But, I mean, cameras and stuff are so much more common now. You would yeah. think there would now be some videos, some pictures. Yeah. You, know, you almost already have your camera out and then you see the Bigfoot or something like I, that. I would say more game cameras and stuff like that. It's just not a lot that people have all like accepted. And a lot of them in the community, there's infighting where they're calling each other's videos fake and what. Yeah. Uh, so one of the other things I thought was compelling is we also have fossil record of, of certain things that are now like things we didn't think about before. So you had mentioned they used to not think that Neanderthals and, and human beings like interacted or like bred, but now we do know that. And then yeah. there are other uh, fossils that are like other kind of human-like animals that existed during that time. And then you have in that island, the Hobbit that they found basically the homo floriensis or something like yeah. that. So and it's, and it's not just Neanderthals, depending on where you're from, there's people who have. Yes. That's one of the new ones. Mm-hmm. 
And so all that leads towards, yeah, maybe these things are real. And sorry, just dumb it down for me because I'm not as up to date on this, but what's the difference between them? I want to say it the, the way I know how to say it, but I know it's wrong. <laughs> They're different animals, Jen. Okay, okay. So, you know, like a Neanderthal is very human-like, but like they have different jaw structure and bone structure oh, okay. and you know, oh, okay actually there's there's this picture and i won't say this because it would offend too many people and people that i like but <laughs> there's a, there's about. this picture that's going around about with a neanderthal man and his daughter uh it comes from i think it comes from the documentary it's, it's floating around with people who are posting about it yeah and you look at it and you're like oh what's this picture of insert ethnic group of people oh, here geez. and i'm like i don't know if that's really what they think neanderthals look like oh, or gosh. is this a joke or is this a member of that group of people that yeah. they're just saying looks like neanderthal it makes me uncomfortable is what i'm saying so does your belief extend to like the loch ness monster so i don't think that the loch ness monster still exists um it's yeah possible that it did at one point and i would believe that it was a dinosaur if, yeah, that would make sense yeah. to me too. A lot of the yeah. stuff is like God, like it existed at one point, yeah. but it's now dead. And I mean, there's nothing to say that... Almost I mean, everything is... So that I'm into a lot of uh, strange subjects, but 90% <laughs> of all things that have ever lived are extinct. Which is crazy when you think about it, hey? Like, oh, yeah. life is fragile. A lot of it is like microscopic. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, and if you'd like to support us, there's a few ways you can do just that. First, like and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps other people see us and hopefully gives us a listen. Second, share your fabulous social media presence with us by liking the Loosen Conversational podcast page on Facebook and liking and sharing some of our posts. We're also on TikTok and Instagram. If you really want to throw money at us, we're on buymeacoffee.com. The easiest way to buy us a drink is to head to loosenconversational.com and click on the coffee cup icon. Thanks for listening, friends, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. So what's your craziest interest, Jeremy? What do you bring out at it? Yeah, when you say you're into a lot of weird things, what's the weirdest thing? (laughs) So uh, my my latest fascination is like death, basically. Okay. And uh, the afterlife. God, cheer up a little, Jeremy. (laughs) Sorry, you said the afterlife, so there's hope in this story. Some things that give me some hope, but for yeah. the most part, it is not, not a very hopeful story in my opinion. <laughs> Death and the afterlife. So is it, so your question is really, is there an afterlife? Is that sort of what you're yeah, saying? Basically, yeah. Like yeah. there's, there's a lot of good science like coming out right now about consciousness. And I'm currently watching a, a series on Netflix called Surviving Death. That's pretty good. Oh, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um like, so what do you think the afterlife is with all I your don't research? Think there is one at this point. You don't? Oh, God. <laughs> I don't believe in a lot of things, but I believe, I won't say I know, I say I know, but I believe there is an afterlife. First off, I'm not religious. Well, Jeremy I'm just said religious. there isn't one, so. I know, okay. but I'm just going to say <laughs> I'm my, a very my small minority that thinks this way. Well, I don't, I, and I really, I, I guess the jury's out. We have a guest hopefully coming up who deals with like energies and spirits and, and I've talked to her a few times. So I mean, she's I, coming up. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully. 
Yeah. Um, and I so, haven't sent her the link. That's yeah. what Jen's saying. <laughs> That's one of those things I basically don't believe at all. Well, let me just you believe in all you believe in UFOs, Bigfoot, oh, yeah. draw the line. Well, that, yeah. And one of the things that surprises a lot of people is I'm I kind of believe in a lot of new age spiritualism kind of thing. We are I've been simply, with you. I've been with you through your white girl phase. I know yeah, you believe. Yeah, in and I, this is the one thing. My white girl phase is this is stuck because and it's not stuck <laughs> because I want to believe in something or one of this. It's literally from like sitting back and looking at the world around me. We are physical manifestations of non-physical beings. We are not. There is no way. Nobody will ever convince me. And someday if I die and I'm just dead, well, good luck trying to convince <laughs> me. Can you send me a sign from the other side? Because you're clearly going first. I will. I okay. will. Okay. I will. Right? I will. But the uh, but, you, but you won't. You won't. If you're still in the physical, unless you open yourself up to it, you're not going to see it. Yeah. There is no way this is it. Yeah. There is no way this is it. And when we so die... do you believe in God or just physical manifestations? I believe you, Jen, yeah. are God. Well, I believe that too. No, I believe you are God. I, I believe I am God of my own existence. Yeah. And Jesus, I could we could do a whole podcast just about this. So you die and when then what you happens? Die, when yeah. you die, your non-physical self has manifested this physical existence to learn something because yeah. you are trying to... Oh, God, that's so white girl. I can't even... No, it is right 100%. 100%. <laughs> well, and this, I didn't make this up. This, yeah. is, this is a combination of... Um, of course, it's all a lesson. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. a lesson. Yeah, you're trying to learn. You're trying and to you learn. And you leave the earth and, the minute and, you get that and lesson learned. if you learned. look at your yeah. life, <laughs> yeah, you, do. You, you reach a point where, yeah. where you're not... Because your non-physical self is still kind of in charge, yeah. right? You. This is something that you wanted to have happen. Yeah. You can't be aware of your non-physical self yeah. because then it would ruin everything, right? So do you believe you come back again and to learn something else or to learn something you haven't learned before? Like you believe in many lives? Or yeah. Just... What, well, what happens is you start off ignorant, yeah. right? And your non-physical self and you have you just have a desire, one, to learn and two, to return to God. There's this belief that there is one just thing, yeah. right? And that's God. And you created separation at one point because you wanted to see if there was more out there. And separation always creates pain. And you're trying to return back to God. And, and the only way to do that is to learn and yeah. learn and learn and learn and learn. I mean, I've certainly believed that in my life. So, yeah. And yeah. so at, at some point you, you'll, you'll go through, I don't know how many lifetimes you'll go through. I don't know, but a lot. And then at some point you'll just return to God. Yeah. Right. And but so when, what will happen when this is over is your life will end and then you will return to your non-physical self. And I don't know what happens at that point. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm not supposed to know. Right? And so Jeremy, what makes you so sure or, or well, sort of land? I will say that so the concept he's talking about is one of the very, very few things that uh, is based on some reality, in my opinion. You know, okay. The the way that so people refer to God as you know, like a person or a singular kind of character, but it could be something else, some sort of like other kind of thing. Probably a uh, singular God is not an accurate description of like a, some person up in the sky listening to your wants or desires and then like granting them or not granting them, but then never intervening in these like huge like child rape or all kinds of really important stuff that probably an all powerful being would intervene in. But this concept of something more after death is there's there's some stuff that's interesting. So there are near death experiences that are really interesting where people have these like recounts of like being outside of their body, basically. And those uh some of those are entirely authentic, right? Explaining that is is like, so what is it? Is are you is your spirit or what as you said, non-physical self outside of your body and you're looking at your body? Is that what was happening, or could it be something else? 
And so we don't know that yet. And uh, but something is happening there, you know, and I'd love to get some scientific explanation as to, to yeah. what that is. It could be other things other than the spirit being outside your body, though. Yeah. yeah. And, and two quick answers to that. Mm-hmm. And people are going to like completely. Well, I think at some point it's, it's a change leap of faith. There, there it is. is there is, is no science for everything. But, but when you but when you say like this is a, a really big common thing, people say, well, if there's a if there's a God explain sick children, it's like, oh, well, yeah. number one, number one, if you're a sick child, then being a sick child, as horrible as it sounds, that's your lesson is is what you wanted to oh, do. And people say well, that's terrible for you. What about like in Africa? There's a lot of genital mutilation that happens to very young children. Yeah. What the hell is that about? They murder them. Oh, what's the lesson there? You know, like, yeah, it's ridiculous in my. Opinion. Oh, it is. It is. And yeah. there's <laughs> and when you when, when and I think there's a uh, one of the criticisms, I guess, because when you really get into the white girl new age thing, where everybody says, you know, there can't be any light without shadows, and yeah. you know, kind well, of the, I mean, into every life a little. Rainbow I believe small. in free will, and I do believe that if there is this big entity, he's not going to interfere. At the end of the day, he's created you, he's given you this free will, and this is your. I guess life to ride, you know yeah. what I'm saying? But one of the toughest things to swallow. So every both of you, have you heard of the law of attraction? Yes, of course. The secret and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. And and everybody has heard about that and and they think like, you know, if I if I can will it, it will be and stuff like that. And if you actually law of attraction to me was it was one of the greatest things I've ever uh, I think it's so much based on privilege though, because you know, not no, everybody you know has no, the like, no, like because, he's talking about the people in Africa who are being generally like mutilated. It's like, I know. Well let me get they, to let me get to my point. So when, when you can read the book or you can listen to the audiobook, and the book is a transcription of a set of tapes. And if you listen to the audiobook, it, audiobook, it's actually the tapes and you listen to them. If you listen to it all the way through, there's actually three laws. There's the law of attraction, the law of divine creation, the law of allowing. And one of the most powerful things, if you really want to read it and you really want to say, this is something that I want to try to understand, it's the law of allowing. And the reason for me that it's most powerful, it's because what it teaches you, and this is a little bit hard to swallow, but it does give you control of your own life is you need to allow the things that are going to happen to you to happen. You need to allow the things that are going to happen to other people to happen. So in other words, you are, you are manifesting your own existence. You are not manifesting the existence of those people in Africa. And, yeah, but and, they're not manifesting that existence. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I mean, I don't, you know, like, I mean, how, is but how that? do you know that? How do you know that? Wow. And, and no, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask for an answer for that. Yeah. But asking that question, how do you know that? Or who's manifesting it? That's where you really start to dig into some of the big questions about existence. And when yeah. you really start to dig into some of those big questions about existence, by the way, how the fuck did we get on this? When you really try to get into these, some of these big questions of existence, for me personally, that's when you start trying to think about things like, well, how can this be something that actually happens? You realize this can't be it. So, so I want to go, I want to enter in here. So yeah, okay. for sure. This is where psychedelics start to change the conversation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so like um, the the other thing, and I, I haven't gotten to this point in the surviving death uh, series, but then there's there's reincarnation stories that also seem to be real. And so the general concept is is consciousness something that is outside of your brain? You know, right? Could this non person, like non physical you, consciousness? be outside of your brain could it be floating around this room when you're having yeah, do you have a do you have a non-physical consciousness yeah. um etc cetera, etc cetera. and then another thing is people will talk about like and your 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 spirit guy is going to be like oh I, I encountered things like i felt energies and they felt real to me and etc so <laughs> and then you've heard of people doing dmt and encountering these beings 
right? And so I have had one of those experiences. I've done many of these things. Um, I've only encountered what I would describe as like some sort of being type thing uh, one time, and it felt entirely real to me. I was in Washington, D.C. I had done acid and this drug called 2CB, and um, it's it's a research chemical, very similar to acid. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I was having a powerful experience. Me and my friend, we both did it. We like split what we had. And so we both took the same thing. We we're both just destroyed. Where in Washington, D.C. were you? <laughs> so originally we went to the Lincoln uh, thing and we did the whole walk around the whole thing. Like we took right before and then we did the walk. So by the time I got to Lincoln, I was crying. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. That's awesome. So like then we walked back and it was like tough and we were hanging out and like there was a lot of people around and he was starting to like get kind of like where he's like, Look, that guy has a bomb and I was like (laughs) I had to talk him down because like clearly he was having some some things going on there where he's seeing a little too far into stuff. And we got a taxi back to our Airbnb. Now, we were in a neighborhood that was going through gentrification hardcore. So I had this nice Airbnb place and immediately next door to us was like 25 people having like a barbecue. I was a little concerned that they weren't gonna like be stoked on my boy <laughs> tripping out. <laughs> you know? So like I, I got back to the house, I got a joint and I went into the backyard and I smoked this joint and I I heard them laughing at me. And then I knew it was okay. I'm like, okay, they're not going to call the cops on me or anything. And then you're the comedy for the night. Yeah. <laughs> Smell the weed. And then they like probably look over the fence and then like I'm laying there and they're like, oh, he's high or whatever, you know? Like, so, so they thought, you know, whatevs. It was cool for them. They weren't, they weren't panicking. Like I wasn't having a Karen situation or anything like that. But, uh, I knew I was good. Oh, and my, my dogs are now barking. So excuse my dog. <laughs> I, I relaxed. And as I was relaxing, so yeah, I laid down in the backyard in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I relaxed. And as I was relaxing, it's hard to remember and recount the experience accurately. But what I remember is like just becoming aware that there were these like, they didn't have a shape to them. And I couldn't physically see them in my mind to describe them to you, you know? But I remember that there were these things, like amoeba-type shape things, like things around me. What I remember is they were aware that I knew they were there. That was the first thing, is that they were like, oh, he can see us, or something to that degree. And I don't remember them saying that, but it was that kind of a feeling. And I remember feeling like everything was going to be okay. So that's... a. That's another common theme that you hear when when people do a lot of these things is that they go to a place where everything is good. So then why would you assume that when we die, we don't go to that place? I have another experience. (laughs) (laughs) Another bad trip. That was a good one. Well, that was a good trip. So, So like that moment is like, okay, what happened there? Did I encounter these things? Like, did I perceive them in reality? Were Are they there right now? Or did I somehow like use these drugs to kind of escape my physical body and be like kind of aware of the non-physical body, right? And then be able to see the other things that are in this realm, whatever. Or did I manifest this entire thing with my brain, the whole experience? Okay. So uh, 
uh, I was doing Salvia, which is, I, I mentioned, I think, before. That You've I, already preambled that this is a terrible experience yeah. earlier. So yeah. I was doing Salvia with these guys that I, you know, they're my friends, but they also, they're like, they were buying weed from me at the time. I had told them about it and I was introducing them. I was taking their Salvia virginity, right? So I gave them hits of Salvia, but I'm a nice guy. I didn't give them like the whole thing so that they had this <laughs> crazy, you know, it was if, if you're if you're not nice and you some you got somebody that wants to try it, you've got that choice. You're like, okay, I'm going to give you like a little experience where you kind of feel it a little bit, or I'm going to make you question your sanity. You know, like the funny thing was, is he was an he was an Uber driver at the time. <laughs> so so I gave both of them this like little hit, and like then I told them, I'm like, and they were screwing with each other while they were doing it. They're like, ah, you know, fucking with each other. I told them, don't do that to me. Do not fuck with me. I'm going to do this for real. Do not fuck with me. And so this is the part where like almost nobody has had an experience like this because most people do it in like a good setting. Like that's part of the whole thing. You don't want to do it with somebody that's going to make it bad for you. So I do this. And of course, what do they do right away? They start fucking with me. If you've ever done salvia, the from from the point where you you have smoked it to the point where you get you're gone and you're no longer yourself. You're not able to like hold your body up. Your mind just goes. It's on its own. You have no control of where it's going or what you're thinking. That that process is like minutes, maybe like one minute, maybe like two minutes. Wow. It's fast. It's super fast. And you're gone. And you can watch, like I've done this for a lot of people, and uh, you can watch them go. You can see in their eyes. They're gone. And cool. I've had to walk people through the darkness many times because <laughs> <laughs> like the panic immediately, this also, I believe is also part of it is so once they start to realize, oh, this is stronger than anything I've ever done. And I'm starting to like go to a point where I wasn't ready for this. You see the fear immediately like, oh, oh, and then they, most times they try to get up and get out of it and like run away from it. And you have to like sit them down. You're like, it's going to be over soon. This whole experience is only going to take five minutes. You might feel like it's hours. But oh, really? Yeah. And so uh, the more you have done psychedelics, I've had shared hallucinations where me and my friend had the same hallucination. We have separate brains. So what happened there? I've had a lot of experiences, right? As you start to have these experiences, you're really starting to test the possibilities of what's possible with your brain. So when they started fucking with me, the thing they said to me was, your mom just came in the room. I I was living at the time. um, Can you hear the dogs? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you want me to stop. I can no no that's cool that's cool they're dogs they're not gonna stop <laughs> we just got snow so like people are out oh. like playing in the snow or walking around and stuff. so yeah so these guys as soon as I started doing it they started fucking with me and the first thing they said to me and I, I don't remember them saying it but I kind of remember they said my mom came into the room and I was living at, in the garage of my parents' house. I was between places and I was waiting for my place to be ready. So they were living in the house right outside. Like it would be very easy for her to just leave the house and come into the garage. And so um, immediately I saw the door open to the garage. I saw my mom come into the room. I looked at her in the eyes. She, she was very disappointed in me. Um, <laughs> As all moms can be. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are, what are you doing? You know? And I, I tried to explain to her that, that she didn't need to like be worried that, that this was just like a nothing thing. And um, none of it happened. You know, like after I came out of it, like um, I, I just kind of remember kind of coming to on the couch. They were all holding me down. 
And I apparently like had tried to like get up and like jump over the couch, similar to what I had described. And my other friend was there and he didn't even do anything the whole time. He was just chilling. This wasn't like some sort of a strange perception of any sort of... He was just being awkward. Yeah, he he was looking at me like, holy shit, I've never seen anybody like lose themselves like that. And, you know, I'm like coming back into it. And then I remember them telling me like, no, your mom didn't come into the room. And I had this like, oh my God, thank God. Because the whole experience to me was entirely real. So how much of it, whether you're doing salvia or you're doing DMT or something like that, how much of it is like a dream? Well, it all kind of is like that. But like it's it's similarity to a dream is that you don't really have control of where it's going. You know, some sometimes you can control your dreams. And those are really awesome experiences if you ever have one. I learned how to do that at one point. <laughs> salvia is not that way. You know, like you might have some slight ability to mentally control it but like there's a certain point where it's it's beyond you you're not yourself you know you're not able to control your body in any sort of way you're just there you're experiencing it you can't even talk that's what attracts me to dmt one is the kind of the god realization thing and the second part is i think if there was like a party drug because how long does dmt last it doesn't last very long either, does it? it's like five minutes yeah if you could if, you, if we were all sitting around and you could like do this drug and then you have a dream for five minutes and you come out of it. So like you do kind of feel it after that. But this whole journey oh, yeah. period is very short. Yeah, I, I, I'd be down for that. So, But the problem is I would have no clue. Like <laughs> the thing that I took away from that whole experience was that like I manifested my mom coming into the room. The whole entire conversation with her, I manifested that. She yeah. didn't know about it. She still doesn't know about it. This is a real person that I created. Yeah. And this was so entirely done. Just, I didn't think about it. Like yeah. I learned about it not being real afterwards. It felt entirely real to me. So how, how likely is it that when you're encountering these things or whatever it is, that this is a similar type of experience that you've manifested this with your brain, that we don't really understand how the brain works. Right. And so let, let me just ask this question. Cause as I said, an hour and 24 minutes ago, I would say at some point, it's time to wrap up. But if the... Uh, I have, I just want to talk about aliens for a minute too. Do you? Okay. Well, let me ask one quick question. Okay. Then we'll talk about aliens for a couple minutes. Okay. How far of a stretch of it is then? If you take these psychedelics yeah. and your brain manifests these things and they seem real, what if, just what if in this big, incredibly complicated universe we have, that we are just the physical manifestation yeah. of a non-physical version of ourselves well and why can't both things be true but it is far more likely every all these things are just manifested by your brain even when you're like having these out-of-body experiences it's more likely that there's some sort of communal consciousness that we have Mm -hmm. a way of like telepathy type of situation where our brains are communicating but it's not a spirit that is separate from our body well, it's interesting. I mean, yeah, because I think um, the person we're having on who is sort of into this whole other spirits, a lot of what she says it is, is just residual energy, right? Like she doesn't yeah, actually yeah. tie it back to a spirit or a haunting in her mind. It's really most nine times out of 10, just residual energy, yeah. right? And that's, so, another, that's another strong belief I have. Yeah. That Kylie and I share, somebody who's on our podcast a lot, that everything is energy. Yeah. Right. And uh, okay, ask okay. your alien question. I just want to know, what are your thoughts on aliens? So I definitely think Somewhere in the universe, aliens are an unquestionable reality, even if it is merely microscopic. Are aliens visiting us here? Yeah. There's a lot of really impressive evidence about that. And it is historically consistent, too. Yeah. 
the big hot topic right now are these the New York Times article and these like videos that were released by the military and like them saying we don't know what it was. Yeah. So that's pretty profound. Um, we talk about like I have Nick Pope in one of our films. So he's the UK Ministry of Defense uh, oh. UFO guy. And yeah. he was talking about this uh, conference that he was, I don't think he was president, but he saw it somehow. And it's like, People coming out of like government people, politician type people coming out of some sort of like private briefing. And one of the politicians, she says, I can't talk about what we just heard. It's classified. But if you were to ask me if I believed in UFOs or aliens or something, I would say it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. So I think it's arrogant to think that there isn't anything else out there, right? Like, I think that's pretty arrogant. A lot of area stories. Area 51, you think that was aliens landing here and the government's keeping it covered? That that Bob Lazar story is is pretty convincing, you know, and a yeah. lot of the stuff that he talked about now has been proven to be true. Yeah. So that's how evidence works, you know? like Have we talked about this before? No, I don't think Cause, so. Because everybody all will point to physical limitations on the likelihood of aliens being able to get here. Yeah. Do you think, do you absolutely think that there are people from another planet? Or do you think it could be people from either the future or oh. people from another dimension. Any of those things are possible, right? Yeah. The Large Hadron Collider, they're starting to reproduce black holes and they're behaving the way that they thought that they would. So it looks like energy from our universe goes into some other universe. That's other, so yeah. fascinating. Quantum oh, yeah. physics yeah. seems to be a real thing. So how far does it go, though? And like, are there infinite universes and all, all the yeah. other stuff? Uh, where are the aliens coming from? Could they be traveling from far places where they yeah. come here and then go back to there? Or could they just be on a always going journey where they never go home and they just oh my god so i have to wrap this up mm-hmm. <laughs> we got to have you on again quick because yeah. there's so many other things i yeah. want to talk about so right? many, Anytime, yeah. i have a bunch of movies so like you know anything i want people to watch our movie you know there's there's we talked about this i don't remember in the last couple of podcasts the idea that humanity is on a five thousand year cycle yeah and like maybe these are just people like two or three cycles from now that travel well, back in time. And are the Clintons aliens? You know, we just don't know. No, we're it. not talking about that. I'm just saying it all links. It all links. They, the Clintons. I don't ever <laughs> want to talk about the Clintons. Okay. But anyways, uh, for the next podcast, I guess. Yeah, this yes. has been this has been awesome, Jeremy. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so my much pleasure. You. It was great to meet you. If we're going to watch. So I'm going to go home. Yeah. Tonight. Which one do we start with when it comes to Bigfoot? Because I'm well, definitely yeah, watching. Yeah. One. yeah give me the first three. Give me three. Starting with the best and then uh, going down from there. First off, what's the the first documentary of yours I should watch when I go home? So uh, for you guys, what I would say is you would you would want to watch Don't Call Me Bigfoot. That's our most popular movie we've ever made. And then I want to believe you might enjoy Alien Contactee and you might enjoy Alien versus Bigfoot. Alien okay, versus awesome. Bigfoot, we think, is our best work and in that right. role. Uh, Alien versus Bigfoot. Well, if that's your best work, that's what I'm going to yeah. watch first. But on my more serious topics are the ones that I'm actually more proud of, as far as like filmmaking. So we have one about mindfulness that I'm pretty proud of, and then we have one that's like a martial arts documentary that I'm pretty. Proud of. Okay, we never even talked about UFC. Yeah, we can do whatever. Else. <laughs> now that you talked about mindfulness, we can talk about oh mindfulness. There's so much. Yeah, well, Jeremy, I'll come back whenever you know. Jeremy, Perfect. we should cut Jen out, and you and I should. <laughs> do it no i'm just kidding i'm just kidding <laughs> jen give me the finger the uh okay great well awesome. it's been awesome thank and you. thank you very much and thank you everybody for listening enjoy your weekend thanks for keeping it loose with us 
Please like and subscribe to our podcast. Check out new episodes weekly and read our blog on looseandconversational.com. Finally, like and follow us on Facebook. I would love to have something from you in my inbox.